Welcome to the Embracing You podcast with your host, Eric Pothen. We are all on our own unique journey to discovering ourselves. Each episode, I will help you navigate the journey within to reconnect with and discover the innate love you have for yourself. This podcast will cover topics from self-love to eating disorders and body image to mental health and to overall well-being. My goal is to help you honor and embrace yourself so you may live your most authentic life. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Embracing You podcast. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday and were able to celebrate and express gratitude with your family and friends. The holidays can be a stressful time of year for those that struggle with eating disorders, disordered eating, and or body image. And I am super excited to share this episode with you all on how to navigate food around the holiday season. And with me today, I have a special guest, and she is Natalie Rose Allen. Natalie Rose Allen is a Toronto-based registered psychotherapist who specializes in treating eating disorders and body image issues. She works primarily with adolescents and adults using a biopsychosocial approach. Natalie also provides intuitive eating and emotion coaching to individuals worldwide. Natalie is passionate about helping people build healthier relationships with their emotions and with their bodies. I don't want to say too much else here because I am eager to get this information and episode out to you all. So without further ado, let's dive in. Well, good morning, Natalie, or good afternoon, I should say. How are you doing over there today? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am very excited to dive into today's episode with you. I am too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to start today's episode off, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe what led you to do the work that you do today and what you currently do? Yeah, my name is Natalie Rose and I'm a psychotherapist based in Toronto. I specialize in eating disorders, disordered eating and body image, working mainly with adolescents and, and adults. And I would say I started to specialize in this area about a year or two years ago. I had become a therapist, a practicing therapist before the pandemic. Um, So I had been working in psychology since 2011, doing mostly assessments, and then went back to do my master's degree and got into sort of like just a general area of psychotherapy. Um, But I think it was throughout the pandemic with the significant rise in eating disorders and also um, sort of the merging of my Instagram and my work as a therapist merged that I decided to specialize in eating disorders. And so just to provide some context, my Instagram, I had started while I was doing my, went back to do my master's degree and I would post my breakfast every morning and just kind of share about my experience overcoming disordered eating and dieting and diet culture. And I gained a following of people who had similar experiences. Either they were going through disordered eating or, you know, full-blown eating disorder or in recovery. 
Um, it really resonated with a lot of people. And as I connected more with that community, it just made me realize that I wanted to specialize in working with that community. So I sort of switched gears, like um, did more certificates and um, learning and in workshops and things like that in treating eating disorders. And then, yeah, it merged into one. And now I'm working mostly with eating disorders and it's so challenging, but so rewarding at the same time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I had a similar experience um, to you as well when I chose to come out and share my own struggles of living with an eating disorder. The amount of people that commented and sent messages was a lot more than what I was anticipating. And I think that's one of the things about eating disorders and disordered eating and when people struggle with body image is that just like mental health, it is such a hidden illness and it just takes one person to be vulnerable and open the door to get them to maybe do the same. So thank you so much for your vulnerability as well when you first started your journey of sharing your own struggles with disordered eating. So today's episode is all about navigating food around the holiday season. I remember that the holidays were a stressful time of year for me when I was struggling with my eating disorder for many reasons. But from a therapist's perspective, what do you see are the biggest challenges for those that might not have a positive relationship with food and or their body during the holiday season? I think there's so many complexities around the holidays. Like for one thing, you know, you're kind of going back to your family home or maybe you still live with your family, um, but you're around a lot of family, maybe other relatives that you haven't seen in a while. And I think we're the most vulnerable with our family, you know, um, depending on where you are in life. Sometimes when you go back home, you kind of naturally revert back into the role that you played in your family growing up. And sometimes that can just leave us in a vulnerable place or, you know, we're needing the kind of connection that, you know, maybe we've always wanted or we have certain expectations about how we want to be treated or how we're going to be treated. Um, you know, I think it's not easy for everyone um, to be around family. And so that can be something that's that's difficult for people. The thing with eating disorders is sometimes an eating disorder develops uh, not as a result of any one thing, but something that can contribute to it is the types of beliefs that we learned about food from our family because our family is such an instrumental part of our learning and in our life. So um, if someone's in recovery and then they're going back to a place where you know those types of beliefs still exist or are being projected, then that can be really challenging. Yeah, I would say that's the most part. And then and just kind of being around that messaging again and and feeling triggered into maybe other coping habits, coping behaviors that um, served a purpose before, like that helped someone cope, whether that was just maybe, you know, restricting certain foods or binge eating certain foods. Those things can can be triggered definitely when you're going back into that environment and around the holidays when there's just also such a, that, an abundance of food around, like that can be overwhelming for people. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that was one of the things that stressed me out the most was there is so much food. I feel like I am not in control. I have no clue how to go about eating a meal without feeling the need to binge or restrict or anything like that. So 
Do you feel like you or any of your clients also struggle with that, feeling that sense of control around all of the food that is so abundant around the holiday season and at our family gatherings? Oh, definitely. You know, something that comes up so easily is like the all or nothing thinking of, you know, well, if I'm already eating in a way that's like, quote unquote, bad or unhealthy or in a way that's not restrictive, then I have to, I might as well eat everything or, you know, I'll just start fresh after the holidays. So I'll I'll allow myself to go overboard now. Um, It's hard to just kind of picture this meal as any other meal because it's not, there's a lot more choices than you have at most meals. And so I think the eating disorder can be a way of kind of helping you make that choice. Either you're still eating very restrictively or you're choosing, you know, to overeat. Um, It's sort of hard to make just kind of a balanced decision when you're feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely. And I think we get a lot of messaging from diet culture and from our society as a whole that we do need to be so incredibly restrictive with food and eating and over exercise leading up to the holidays to make sure that we're compensating for the amount of food that we will be, we will potentially be consuming on these holidays. And so I think as someone who has struggled with an eating disorder, this is still an area that I am learning to grow in is how do I navigate all of this messaging that is so deeply ingrained in us from society about what we need to do with our bodies and the fact that we need to burn off all of the calories the day after Thanksgiving or you know, have that turkey trot 5k right before we can sit down at the dinner table and eat. And so yeah, it's just so hard when a lot of that messaging is so reinforced every single year right around that holiday time. Exactly. It really just takes the joy and pleasure out of eating, you know, creates so much anxiety and stress around it. Absolutely. So I think a key component in the growth process is awareness. And I believe we are better able to navigate challenges when we are aware of them happening in the moment. So with the awareness of some of these challenges that we have just talked about, what are some things that we can do to prepare ourselves to navigate them if they were to arise over the holidays? I think it can be helpful to develop a a plan, like whether that's like a plan of how you're going to cope when certain things are are triggering, or it could be planning how to respond if someone's speaking to you in a way that feels uncomfortable or triggering. Um, Something that I like to encourage clients is to have a support plan. So that's kind of like when you might uh, reach out to someone that you trust and that's supportive who might be willing to offer you some support during hard times. So maybe either if they're there with you at the dinner, could there be like a glance or a signal that you both understand that indicates that, you know, you need to leave the table for a break or you're feeling upset in this moment and just need some encouragement or a hug. Uh, or it could be someone who's not going to be present at the meal. You know, could they text you to check in on you? Could they send you some like funny memes or something that's going to be distracting or uplifting? I like that idea a lot. And I think it's really helpful because eating disorders are so isolating. And so part of the distressing part when you're triggered is just feeling like you're alone in that moment and no one understands. So having a support system in place um, can really help you kind of move through those big emotions. 
Absolutely. And I kind of like the idea um, that you brought up is it's almost like your little like toolkits of like exercises and or people that you can have by your side when you find yourself being triggered in those moments. And I think hopefully having a strong knowledge of what you need in those moments will also give you the confidence to seek them out when you find yourself being triggered in those moments. Maybe it's around the dinner table. Maybe it's right before you sit down, you find yourself getting anxious about the meal. Um, And so I think that's a really, really beautiful point that you brought up right there about what do you need and how can you ensure that you have those tools and those people in those moments around the dinner table over the holiday season. So one thing that really triggered me when I was going through my eating disorder and eating around the holidays was that people would always comment about how much food was on my plate and my physical appearance. I had no clue how to respond to my friends and family members when this happened. So what are some phrases or things that we could say if this happens? Yeah, that's a big one. So I think there's a few different ways that you can respond. Like sometimes you can take, it's okay to take a more passive approach. Maybe you leave the conversation like mentally or physically um, you know, sort of just check out from it or, or walk away or change the subject, you know, kind of say like, yeah, I hope that diet works out well for you anyways. Like how's the new job going? Or depending on how comfortable you feel with those people, you might be honest with them and say like, yeah, I've been trying to work on my relationship with food and I notice it helps me so much when I don't talk about dieting or I don't talk about weight um, or hearing you comment about how much I'm eating really makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel judged or I have a new rule that I won't talk about you know, how much I'm eating or how much anyone else is eating or my weight or dieting because I notice it doesn't leave me in a good headspace. So let's change the subject or please or just very assertively on the very assertive end of the the scale would be, you know, please don't comment on my food or my weight. I think those are some ways that we can set boundaries in a way that's kind of neutral. Like it's not like you're just telling the person off or getting really upset. It's sort of a way of, of you know, expressing your needs and letting them know that that it's not okay. Absolutely. I think you stole the words right out of my mouth because I was also going to talk about, you know, boundaries. Like that's the word that came to mind when, as you were talking about a lot of these things about what we can say if, you know, these comments are made towards us. So this is kind of a general question here around boundaries, but beyond this dialogue around the dinner table, what role does boundaries have in eating disorder recovery or um, how we might navigate our eating disorder when we are experiencing it? It's a good question because a lot of people think that boundaries is pushing other people away from you, like putting up a wall and upsetting other people. And that's not really what boundaries are. Boundaries are something that help you preserve your peace. Because a lot of the time, if you set a boundary with someone, like for example, making an assertion not to comment on my food or weight, uh, there's a very good chance that the other person might not know how to listen to or respect your boundaries. They might get upset if they're just not used to setting boundaries themselves or or receiving them. 
Um, so it's not about changing the other person or controlling other people's behaviors. It's about protecting your peace. So by me saying, please don't comment on my food or weight, I'm showing myself respect that those kinds of comments upset me and I deserve to assert my needs um, to not be spoken to that way. And if the other person doesn't respect that, then it's clearly something that they're struggling with, that they're not used to setting boundaries, that they have very ingrained beliefs about food and weight that they haven't come to terms with. It's when it's no longer about me. It's I'm affirming to myself that this is how I feel, this is what I need, and that's what matters to me. And if the other person can't respect that, then it's out of my control. You couldn't have said that any more beautifully. That is something that I am currently learning in all areas of my life right now is I'm really learning on how to set boundaries with others. And it is really uncomfortable for me to assert myself in certain situations and make my own needs known. And I have such a hard time not taking on the emotional response of the other individual after I've chosen to set that boundary. And so I really, really appreciate the point that you bring up there of you are protecting your own peace and it is out of your control if the other person or people involved do not respond in the way that you want them to. And so, like I said, just thank you so much for bringing that point up. And I think that was like such a key component in me learning how to set boundaries and navigate those conversations a little bit better and a little bit more confidently. In the same vein that we were just talking about boundaries, when we find our eating disorder voice being active, how can we learn to set boundaries with that? That's a good question. I would highly recommend talking back to the eating disorder voice or just kind of allowing it to be there without engaging with it. So those are kind of two strategies that sound kind of opposite or contradictory. Sometimes it's helpful to talk back, like to acknowledge it as kind of another person who's trying to control your behaviors or control how you feel and you're saying, no, like, please don't come in and ruin my dinner or you're not helpful. You've never been helpful. Um, So that's one strategy. The other strategy is sort of diffusing that voice. Like that voice has never really helped me make great decisions in terms of my relationship with food. It's been very isolating. So I'll just kind of acknowledge that it's in the background and keep doing what I'm doing. That's going to help me make the best of this situation. It's kind of like that the eating disorder is like an unwanted guest at the party. If you fight with it and tell it to leave, it might just get more rowdy. So sometimes it's best to just kind of ignore it. And then it it's kind of like that unwanted guest where if it's just being ignored, it's not having a good time, it'll eventually leave. <laughs> so it really depends on the person and, and what they find more useful in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like for me, my eating disorder voice can get pretty loud after meals, especially around the holiday time. And maybe I ate more than I thought I should have eaten. And then the shame and guilt kind of sneaks its way in. And I even think for those that 
maybe don't necessarily str- struggle with an eating disorder or disordered eating, and maybe they don't have the best relationship with food, that shame and guilt can still be pretty loud after a meal like that. And so if we find the shame and guilt sneaking in, what are some ways that we can work with that? And what are some ways that we can offer ourselves some love and self-compassion in those moments? Yeah, that's a really good point because usually it's not usually, but sometimes it's not happening as you're eating the food, like you're able to eat the food and enjoy it, but it's afterwards that's more distressing. So there's a lot of different things going on here. Like usually it's some physical discomfort that's tied to that shame and guilt. Like if I feel uncomfortable, that must mean that I've eaten too much or I've done something wrong. Or these feelings feel like they're never going to go away. So I'm feeling hopeless about this. Um, And you're right, that shame can just kind of kick up at that time and the voice can get really loud. So definitely using some self-compassion, like understanding why you feel that way. You know, of course, if you have a difficult relationship with food or you haven't eaten a big meal like this in a while, you're going to eat differently than usual and you're going to feel differently than usual and it's uncomfortable and a lot of people feel that way as well. Like you're also not alone in this feeling. Instead of turning towards self-criticism, which might just be kind of an automatic coping mechanism, how can you turn to something that's going to actually help you feel better, that's going to be more soothing and caring? Like could that be drinking some ginger tea or peppermint tea or something that's soothing for your stomach? Potentially at some point, you know, going for a gentle walk, like getting some fresh air with um, someone or maybe on your own, whatever you feel like is going to be more relaxing and calming. I think, yeah, just kind of treating yourself as you would treat someone else who is feeling that way. You know, you wouldn't tell them to go to the gym for three hours and burn off everything they ate, or you wouldn't tell them that something bad is going to happen to them. It's kind of that voice is only happening when your inner critic is coming out. Absolutely. And I love the point that you just brought up about like the self-soothing and trying to understand why you feel that certain way. And a phrase that has been incredibly helpful for me on my own personal journey is, it makes sense you feel that way. It is a phrase that is so simple, but I truly believe that when we can say that phrase to ourselves, there is such a softening and there is such a sense of empathy that is just there and you're better able to kind of navigate whatever it is that you're feeling once there is that softening and sense of understanding of, oh, it makes sense I feel this way. It makes sense that I am feeling uneasy after this meal because I am not around this much food on a daily basis. And it makes sense that after I ate this big meal that I might feel uncomfortable because I'm not used to eating a big meal like this. And so it's just creating that overall sense of understanding that I think can allow for such a beautiful release and an opportunity to send ourselves some self-compassion. So I really like the point that you brought up about self-soothing. 
yeah, basically what you're describing is self-validation. Like you're identifying your feelings and you're making sense out of it. And, you know, research actually shows that that helps, like that's an emotion regulation tool. It helps reduce the intensity of the emotion because you're engaging the logical part of your brain which then quiets the emotional part of your brain that feels fear and out of control. So yeah, it's a really, a really great strategy. Definitely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I kind of want to dive into this topic of how can we dismantle diet culture during the holiday season? You know, we're inundated with the messaging of, you know, you got to burn off your big meal. And it's kind of like, like you had mentioned earlier, this all or nothing mentality where, you know, it's almost like the last supper where you restrict for days leading up to the big meal. And then you just some people maybe go all in and have that last supper mindset. But what are some ways that we can try to create a shift around the messaging that diet culture gives us around the holiday season? I think if there's anything that's certain, anything that's going to be a rule, it should be to not restrict beforehand. Because that is just a binge waiting to happen. You know, it's making you mentally, emotionally, and physically vulnerable to overeating because you are just hungry, like over hungry from not eating enough beforehand. So definitely try to avoid restricting leading up and on the day of um, just try to eat regularly. I know everything you know, in your brain or other people are telling you not to do that, but they're usually the ones who end up eating too much and end up feeling terrible and then going back on a diet. So you don't want to listen to that kind of messaging. I think on the day of also just using really neutral language, like, you know, there's no good and bad foods, um, focusing more on on your values, what you want to get out of this experience. So do you want this to be about food and weight or do you want to be enjoying these foods that are, you know, social and traditional and, you know, do you want to be connecting with other people? So sort of just looking at all the other aspects around it that tie into your values. Absolutely. And I think for me personally, this was the best Thanksgiving I have had. And a lot of it was knowing that I have the skills and tools to sit down at the dinner table and to navigate this meal if I were to be triggered. And it's for me, it was building up that confidence in myself and truly believing in myself that I was going to be able to do that just created a, such a different experience for me around the dinner table at Thanksgiving this year to know that I am in tune now with my hunger cues and fullness cues and recognizing even if I put a lot of food on my plate because it all sounded really good in the moment, that I don't have to eat everything on my plate. Um, and or, you know, the other end of the spectrum, I finished my, you know, serving of stuffing and I put more on my plate because it sounded good to me in the moment. And so it's just recognizing and trusting a lot of the, the messaging that my body is giving me that was so freeing this year. And it resulted in such a beautiful experience for me around the dinner table. And so I offer that up to listeners as well as trust in yourself that you do have the tools to have a very successful and joyful and happy holiday meal that's meant to be enjoyed. It isn't meant to be a stressful meal. Like it has become such a part of our 
culture that these are supposed to be really happy times of the year and we cannot create stress for ourselves just because of, you know, the two or three meals that we might have as we celebrate with other people. And so I do want to offer that up is just trust in yourself, right? Like, I'm just curious from your perspective, like what role does that inner narrative have in people's ability to kind of navigate those experiences? Oh, I think it's so important. I think it's it's can be really difficult for someone who's really in the thick of the eating disorder if they've lost touch with their hunger and fullness cues and the eating disorder voice is really strong. Um, they're, you know, essentially disconnected from that inner wisdom, that intuition that you're describing. But once you get through that, like as you maybe not around the holidays, but just in in recovery in general, as you're practicing like regular eating and connecting with your hunger and fullness cues again, um, it's definitely much easier to engage that voice, like just to really think about what you actually want to eat more of and um, honoring fullness and eating from a place of enjoyment versus fear. I think it's it's such a wonderful feeling to be able to rebuild that trust. And it's also a good kind of shield or armor against other people's comments or diet culture, diet and weight talk happening around you. Because when you get that confidence back, uh, you feel so secure in your food choices and your, you know, it's, it's like those kinds of comments just sort of roll off. They don't apply to you anymore. And yeah, that's why intuitive eating is so wonderful. Um, but yeah, it is something that usually happens. It's like the end goal, right? So with someone who's really in the thick of an eating disorder, they might want to actually rely more on plating their food in a way that just you know includes all the food groups, um, is going to just help satisfy them and just have sort of a bit of everything that they can enjoy and then move on from that. But yeah, I love what you described that. You described intuitive eating perfectly. Thank you. And I, even I feel like my own narrative about food and around food has shifted even around my family members. So for example, like my dad had mentioned that he was feeling full after his meal and that he was he was kind of alluding to the fact that he maybe ate too much. And so, but I challenged him on that thinking and I told him, maybe that's what your body wanted though. Like maybe it was craving this. And so maybe that's why you had a little more than what you are anticipating and that is okay. And so I think we, as people who are in recovery or are recovered, we can also do our part as well with kind of pointing out the faulty thinking and some of those around the dinner table as well and how empowering that can be for us as individuals when we can start to hopefully create a shift in that inner narrative that goes on in family members and those around the dinner table with us as well. You're so right. Yeah, you're so right. Because a lot of the time people just don't know any better. You know, they've heard this messaging around food, you know, feeling too full. They perceive that as something that is wrong or they've done something bad they should feel guilty about. So I love how you're intervening in that way and providing reassurance, but also education and just support in helping them kind of get through that moment. Absolutely. So I think that was such a beautiful uh, way to transition into this next question that I have for you. But 
how can we best support those who are struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating this holiday season? I really think that it comes down to social and emotional connection. I really think that, you know, when someone is struggling with their relationship with food and their body, they're really in a place of, you know, I need to change my body to be accepted, or I need to follow these rules to feel like I'm uh, doing something well, like for approval. Um, And that kind of goes back to that point of being around family. Um, Like there's something about human nature where we always need approval from our parents and from our family. Like we want to feel loved and accepted. And so I think there's nothing better than kind of encouraging a person by saying it's okay to eat what you want to eat and it's okay. You are okay. And what else is going on for you? Like, how are you doing emotionally? What's going on in your world? So any kind of authentic connection or attempts to connect authentically, I think can really help someone get out of the eating disorder brain and into feeling loved and accepted. Absolutely. And I feel like I resonate with that a lot. When I was really struggling with my eating disorder, I just wanted to isolate because when I was around family and friends, all I could think about is they were labeling me of, this is Eric and he has an eating disorder. And that's all that I thought they viewed me as. And so I really like the point that you bring up here is how do we create that authentic connection between you know ourselves and the person who is struggling? And how can we make them be seen as a person and who they are and not a person who has an eating disorder or disordered eating and or struggles with food in their body? And I think the more we can do that, I very much so agree with you. I think we can get them grounded in the present moment more and kind of kick that eating disorder voice out of the way. So thank you so much for bringing up that point about authentic connection. So to uh, wrap up today's episode, are there any other words of advice or encouragement you'd like to give our listeners today? I would say to really invest in practicing that self-compassion. And I know that for a lot of people, um, self-compassion sounds uncomfortable or maybe totally opposite from what they're used to. Um, You know, often there's sort of certain characteristics in those who struggle with disordered eating is there's this perfectionism, there's like this discipline, this inner strong inner critic and self-compassion really can sound phony and just completely opposite of that. But I think just really being kind to yourself, you know, going into the holidays with expectations that things aren't going to be perfect and just really trying to support yourself in the best way that you can and and reach out to others that you trust to help support you as well. I think that's kind of um, a big challenge for many, but but so important and and so worth it. Absolutely. That self-compassion is so, so, so incredibly important. I'm learning more and more on a daily basis. And I know it may be hard to kind of try to shift the narrative at first, but from my own experience, it is such a beautiful feeling when you notice yourself being triggered and you respond from a place of self-compassion first, instead of hearing that inner critic voice. So yes, that self-compassion is so important. 
But thank you so much, Natalie, for your time today and your insights and your wisdom. I'm so grateful that you were able to share that with all of us today. Um, for those that are looking to find you on social media uh, or elsewhere, where can we go? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Wake Up and Smell the Rose. You can also find my website, wakeupandsmellthe-rose.com. I actually have a holiday toolkit that includes a lot of the things that we talked about today, um, strategies, and it has journal prompts and um, can help you make a coping plan. So if anyone is interested, I right now I'd sent it out to my newsletter subscribers. I'd sent it out in in the newsletter, but I can add it to my website so it's available for anyone there. It's complimentary, my holiday gift. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I will be sure to include all of that in the show notes as well so people can easily find all of your wonderful information and content that you put out onto um, social media world and, and share with the rest of the world. Um, and once again, thank you so much for all the all of the work that you do as someone who is in recovery and, and, and still recovering from living with an eating disorder. It means so much to see people who are so dedicated in this space of advocacy and really helping others in this space. So thank you so much, Natalie, for your time and for your expertise in this space. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did and that you were able to take away just a couple little tidbits of knowledge here and you feel more confident as we head into the holiday season with food and your body. So until next time, I hope you continue to take good care of yourselves you are able to offer yourself some self-compassion around the dinner table over the holiday season, and most importantly, continue to love and honor yourself and your body for who and what it is right here, right now, and always. Much love. <laughs>